You're listening to the GIST podcast, a place where we come together and meet the many wonderful people who make GIST what it is, a place of learning, of community, diversity and global citizenship. The notion of diversity, equity and inclusion has been around for several decades, but it's been thrown into the spotlight in recent years with movements such as Black Lives Matters and the increase in anti-racism discourse. International schools often celebrate diversity as a natural outcome of the melting pot of cultures and nationalities of their communities, but have come under some criticism in recent times as to what extent they really do embrace the ideals of diversity, equity and inclusion. Here at GIST, we decided to find out. I'm Joanna Summers, and joining me in conversation today are the co-chairs of our focus group committee on diversity, equity and inclusion, high school principal Clint Calzini, grade three teacher Denise Lyons, and high school math teacher Susan Lee. Clint, Denise, Susan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Clint. Our high school community is very familiar with your presence here at GIS. For those in our audience who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, sure. Uh, let's see. Um, in relation to DEI or just in general? You just uh, In general. Who is Clint Calzini? Who is Clint Calzini? Good question. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, I've been in education for over 20 years. Um, it's um, made the decision back when I was in high school that I wanted to follow my parents' footsteps. Both of them were educators and uh, have never looked back. And uh, I've always enjoyed this job. And uh, I've always tell people that uh, even if I were to win mega millions and win the jackpot lottery, I would still do this job every single day. It's, uh, it's just in my blood. Um, I grew up overseas, um, so I'm familiar with the international world. Uh, my parents were both teachers for international schools. And uh, follow, as I said, followed in their footsteps. And uh, this has brought me to Jakarta. And next year, it'll bring me back to the United States, my home country of passport. Uh, to Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm very looking very forward to being at the Sayre School there. And congratulations. It sounds like a wonderful community that you're going to be joining over there, although we will miss you here a lot. And to be honest, we're going to miss your cooking because that is something <laughs> that you're quite well-renowned for. Enjoy it, yes. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> uh, Denise, you're a very valued member of our Patamura community. Can you tell us about yourself and, and your role here at GIS? Sure. Okay. So I am a grade three teacher at Pell or Patty Mora Elementary, as it's affectionately called. So I have, this is my fifth year at GIS and my 10th year as a classroom teacher. Um, I started my educational career working with special needs students, primarily students with um, emotional disturbances. And then I took a break actually from teaching to do some nonprofit work with performing arts one of my degrees is in theater. If we were live right now, you'd be able to tell because of all of my arm <laughs> movements. And then um, I moved to Jakarta and I've been here for five years. And this is my fourth year in grade three. I'm also the grade three team lead. And you're probably one of the most familiar faces at school because you're the one of the first faces we meet as new faculty coming in here on the orientation team. Oh, I completely forgot about that yes, job. Yes. And so I don't get to yeah. see you. I don't get to see you much over at Pearl, but I always really enjoy catching up with you. So it's lovely to have you here, Denise. Thank you, Joe. And Susan, you are new to our GIS faculty here. This is your first year. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how it's been transitioning to Jakarta and a new school in the middle of a global pandemic. Sorry, I think I just muted myself. Okay. <laughs> we, we do it every day, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's, it's the, a brave new world. <laughs> this is my, I think, 14th or 15th year 
as an international educator. I'm originally from Malaysia. I see a Malaysian flag there. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents were teachers and, and they really did not expect me to follow in their footsteps at all. <laughs> and so I've um, lived in China and in India. And we, my partner and I came over here from Singapore and before that we were in Thailand. And so I really enjoy and um, love doing what I do. And so, but starting during a pandemic in a new school mm. <laughs> is, is not an experience I can claim that I've ever had. And it's just every day is a new learning experience and um, learning new technologies and trying to get to know my students through their tiny little screen mm. <laughs> and trying to figure out their little personalities has been one of the biggest challenge um, during this whole online schooling thing. Yeah, yeah, and one that you're handling really well. <laughs> so we're really glad to have you here in our community, Susan. Before we talk about our conversation today is centering on diversity, equity, and inclusion (DEI), and it's a t it's a term or an acronym that I think many people will have heard about. But I think it'll probably be useful for for me many people in our audience to have a common understanding of what these terms mean. Denise, can you define them for our listeners? What do these three terms actually mean? Sure. So when we talk about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the D for diversity talks about essentially thinking about a presence of many different uh, races, genders, sexual orientation, ethnicity, nationality, differences in socioeconomic status, language of origin, things like that. Uh, the I for inclusion, I'm sorry, the E for equity <laughs> talks about, we're thinking about justice, um, fairness, being impartial. And we're thinking about that in the terms of our processes and our procedures, right? So making sure that our processes and procedures are equitable for everyone, not equal, but equitable. Um, and it's, I think it's really important to note that when we're talking about equity work, it's really important for people to understand the inequitable nature of the society that we live in. That's how you target equity mm. issues, by knowing those things. And then finally, inclusion, you know, as teachers, as educators, we're used to that word. When we think mm. about inclusion, we usually think about it in terms of neurodiversity, right? Students that are different types of learners. Mm -hmm. But inclusion really just means that you're trying to ensure that everyone feels included, everyone feels welcome, that the program, the school, the classroom is somewhere that is accessible and equal and inclusive to everyone there. Um, you will also hear some people use DEIJ Mm -hmm. And the J stands for justice. That's that talks about the restorative part of DEI work, which is not only that you're addressing these issues, but that you are doing something to work towards fixing the issues that were already there. Mm. And you can also some people say I idea, essentially I-D-E-A. Mm -hmm. And the A in that case stands for access to ensuring that everyone has equitable access. So that's DEI. And Denise, as part of our accreditation work, the other the acronym that, that CIS has added in is A for anti-racism. Yes. Um, and so that falls under all of these different terms as well, doesn't it? 
Definitely. And I think a lot of times when people, um, particularly because we're in the international school community, when they're, mm-hmm. they hear anti-racism and even when they hear the acronym DEI, they think about it in terms of the Western exported definition of racism, right? Mm-hmm. So they think about it in a really narrow term. So a lot of times people think, well, DEI work isn't necessary at our institution because we don't have those kinds of issues here. Mm-hmm. But actually, when we're thinking about um, equity, when we're thinking about diversity, we have to make sure that we're not only thinking about it through the lens of race, but that we're also thinking about it through all of these v- variety of lenses that occur. And also racism as a Western construct does not necessarily look the same everywhere else. So you have to define it for the community that you are living and working in. And we're going to return to some of these um topics throughout this chat. So Clint, along with Denise and Susan, you've been the chair for the DEI focus group committee throughout our current school year. How did this group come about and what were you tasked with? Yeah, sure. Um, The uh, CIS WASC, um, you know, had uh, um, several domains that are required for the report. And then there were a number of different uh, focus groups that uh, there was one on uh, social emotional learning, there was one on global engagement and our global mindedness and so on. And DI was a hot topic and uh, obviously came up um, with everything that's been happening in the recent uh, years. And uh, so I was uh, asked to be chair of it and I was be happy to do that. I've had some background academically as well as uh, life experiences. Although I am a heterosexual white male, I, I, as Denise said, there is diversity even in that. So, um, so yes, I've had growing up overseas and in, in um, international schools, uh, I've, I've uh, uh, this is something that I was really kind of aligned with my thinking and so forth. So I was happy to do that. And then uh, we formed a group uh, by people selecting uh, different groups that they wanted to be in, uh, whether they were domains or the uh, CIS WASP domains or the focus group. And we all came together and um, I needed some help. And so I threw out a uh, email to say, hey, uh, anybody want to help us out? And thankfully, Susan and Denise uh, stepped up and uh, were co-facilitators and leaders through the process of, of making this happen. Um, in the beginning, we were really tasked with like a, given carte blanche, like, you know, what mm-hmm. do you want to do and so forth? And uh, we came up with some um, essential questions. I thought it was good to kind of come up with, uh, we had three different groups to come up with different essential questions and then tackle those and, and write our research report based upon those questions. Uh, in the beginning, it was it was carte blanche. And then um, about halfway through the process, we got an update of the CIS WASH standards and mm-hmm. it said, hey, by the way, these are some things you should do. Uh, And thankfully, uh, we had um, really kind of aligned our questions, our essential questions with the standards uh, without even knowing it. So I was quite Mm. pleased that uh, how that worked out. Um, So, yeah, we move forward with uh, over the next over the previous months, um, working on answering these questions by doing some research, a survey, uh, having conversations with people, digging into documents that we have on our campus, uh, whether it be uh, human uh, resources or just the website in general, and uh, sought to answer those questions. And the report is very thorough. I have I have looked at the report. It's very thorough, very academic. It's a really good read, um, and it really does um, go into a lot of these big ideas in in close detail. And so, certainly, the three of you have done a fantastic job um, leading this committee. Susan, what were some of the key findings that emerged in your report? Okay, so when we started out, we kind of had a big brainstorm session to think about what are the main um, 
concepts that we do want to look into. And we came up with four big ideas that um, people kind of divide into groups and um, delve deeper in. And the first one was, um, what was the ethos of the school? And was it um, responsive to um, the ideas of DEIJ? And the finding was that it was mostly is, the, the guiding statements does try to um, kind of lift these um, DEIJ kind of concepts, and but obviously there's also room for improvement. Um, so that's like a recommendation for that is for more um, um, the governance to, and the whole school governance to embrace these um, at this more uh, within the mission statement and also within the values of the school. And the other group looked at staff diversity. I'm just kind of summarizing. And they found that, yes, it looks like there are a lot of nationalities represented within our staff, whether it's faculty or um, non-teaching staff, but there's also um, several several um, recommendations, I guess, that uh, when we look at diversity in staff, it's not just passport or nationalities, but it has to be diversity in within ethnicity and gender, and also maybe a suggestion of a better spread uh, among the middle and the high school, because there seems to be a bit of a gender disparity um, mm -hmm. in some levels of school. So that was... Um, just, it came out of a survey, a very well thought out survey, and this was some of the findings. Uh, the other thing that we looked at is DI in the curriculum, um, and this group really delved into the primary, middle school, and high school curriculum to see what they're doing so far and what can we do to go further. And they did find a lot of examples of diversity learning equitable lessons within unit plans and within classrooms. It looked different in the different levels, but it was there. Um, but again, there, uh, there was a recommendation from the group as well to look further. I think they're saying that maybe look in more into interdisciplinary learning and um, maybe really kind of implement it like um, consciously instead of just seeing where can we do it, like actually taking action. So that was the curriculum aspect of it. And the fourth group looked at what are the current feelings of staff members in terms of diversity within the school. And there was an overwhelming majority who felt that yes, they do think that just um, is one of the most diverse places they have worked at. Um, and there is a lot of consensus that they do feel um, supported and it's a diverse community. But again, you know, there's definitely room for improvement as well, according to this group, um, based on their surveys. I'm just checking, um, maybe a recommendation is uh, more professional development towards um, implementing DEIJ ideals and concepts for teachers and because that's one of the major findings that they found is teachers feel like they would like to do it but they need a lot more training mm. so this is a question i guess for for any of you who'd like to jump in what was it like to engage in a self-study like this at, at the school and so your committee had possibly about 20 people on it i think give or take so what was the mood of the committee was it something that was really you know, people were really enthousi enthusiastic to delve into. Were people surprised by the findings? What was the general mood? Denise, you've been here the longest. What did you think? You know, actually, I remember the first uh, the first day that we got together to um, do the activity to figure out what our key drivers were going to be. 
um, I was really nervous because I thought to myself, you have to be so vulnerable when you're doing this work. And even though we're looking at our school as our school is an institution, it's not that we're looking at ourselves necessarily. Mm-hmm. We're looking at the practices of the school. People are still connected to their school. They feel protective of the institution that they work for. So I was a little bit worried about, you know, how honest are we going to be? Mm-hmm. And I was really pleasantly surprised with not only how seriously everyone took it, and of course, this was a group that people chose to be a part of, which I think is really important to note, right? Everyone that was there made the decision to join that group for different purposes, but because they all thought this work was important. And people were very open. They were very honest. They were um, even at some points, I would say they were making sure that the things that were uncomfortable to talk about were discussed in a way that was productive. Mm. And because of that, we were able to come away from it with a clearer picture of the different areas that we needed to look at as an institution. And then when looking at the final report, I don't think that anyone found it too shocking, right? I think that as um, individuals that are in different portions or different places in the school that we have different positions, we all see different lenses. Mm. And I think that the elementary teachers could look at that and say like, ah, yeah, I can recognize that in the elementary school. Same with middle and same with high school. I do think, though, that the one thing that we probably need to do or somehow find a way to do with this type of work is to ensure that we include host country staff um, that are in various roles because your your personal identity Mm. really does affect your perspective on certain things. Mm, Yeah, interesting. So, Clint, you mentioned in your introduction that you grew up as a third culture kid and and you've worked in international education for some time. In recent news, there has been some criticism levelled at international schools um, about failure to to address certain aspects of DEI. Do you think this has been an an issue at JIS? Well, I, I think to be honest, yeah, it, it's been an issue across the world. And, you know, I, I can speak of my home country. You know, we weren't having these discussions when DEI was not uh, a, a common term uh, two, three years ago. You know, mm-hmm. so what have we been doing in the meantime where uh, we now suddenly feel that this is something to to talk about? Um, and, and people have given different value to it. You know, some some organizations have put up something on their website and then um, they've, they've kind of... Uh, not to sound too critical, but, you know, wash their hands of it. You know, they, mm-hmm. they have a statement. Um, I am much more into the action is more, far more important than words. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it, when it comes to international schools, yes, we're, we're complicit in that as well as the rest of the world, I think, in, in a, to some degree. Um, you know, when, when I go to recruiting conferences or I go to uh, uh, Ear Coast Conference and so on, you know, the, the international school world is, is pretty lily white. You know, it is, it is, it is difficult to find um, the demographics that would be represent, you know, the international world that we live in. Um, so, yeah, as there has been criticism and I think it's, uh, it, it's real. And, and now we've, we've come to a point where um, I think because of uh, recent events, well, not so recent events now, it's been over a year now. Um, and um, it, it's time to put uh, some of these ideas and concerns and the research that we have in this report uh, into action. So has it been, you know, has, has this been an issue at just Yes, of course it has. You know, it's like the rest of the world. We mirror a lot of the other things going around. Um, I think international schools do have a somewhat uh, benefit because they are international and have a variety of um, um, 
nationalities from around the world. But that's it, it's it's layer. It's only that that top layer. You know, it's it's the mm. UN day. It's the it's mm. the events we have and so forth. And I think there is some natural like our our students. I think mix with different groups. And my daughter has two friends um, that are from two different countries. Mm. But they're, you know, but they're both white and they're both, um, you know, middle class. So in terms of that, uh, that other diversity, we're, uh, I think we're still reaching for that. Um, and as this uh, report has suggested, there's over two pages of, of recommendations of how we can possibly move forward. Um, but uh, to answer your question directly, yes, the world has, you know, uh, only come, this has only become into the spotlight recently. And and certainly our report is is hot off the press. We haven't actually released it yet um, throughout the school community, and it will be done um, shortly before the end of the year. So, Denise, within that report, how do we as a school community perhaps move away, move beyond that flags, foods and festivals aspect? How do we try and actually put some of these findings into action? Okay, big, big question. Yeah, so that's a big one. I let's let's move the report to the side for a second and just kind of talk about DEI work on a personal level, right? What does this look like for the average international educator? So I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but mm -hmm. The first two things that we need to think about, we need to think about mindset. Mm. So there is this idea, I think, that DEI work is something that is in addition to, it is extra, it is optional. When we stop thinking about this as optional and start thinking about it as integral to our teaching practices, then we'll see some changes start to happen. So that's first. Um, secondly, we need to, I remember when I first started doing this work, every course that I took, the first thing they asked you to do was like, write your identity letter. Mm. Who are you? What are your cultural practices? What are the things that influence you? What are your biases? Right? And you write that letter, you don't share it with anyone because you it might be uncomfortable, right? But you do this because it helps you, if you know who you are as a person in terms of your culture and your identity and how those two things interact, you can start looking at others through that lens as well. And you have to do that personal work. You have to do that work on yourself before you can work on anyone else. Mm. Um Paul Gorski, who is a researcher, most of his work is around um, uh, poverty and um, students that are from disadvantaged neighborhoods. But he has these five abilities of equity literacy that he talks about, which are recognize, respond, redress, cultivate, and sustain. So when we are looking at DEI work, a lot of times people want to jump to the cultivate and sustain. Like, mm -hmm. just tell us what to do and we'll do it. But if you don't actually recognize what's going on and if you don't actually respond to it, if you don't take your time to go through those steps, nothing that you actually put in place will have a longstanding effect. Um, two other things or three other things that I um, – because I, I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure. <laughs> I just wish everybody could see your drama hands as you talk oh. through this. It's so <laughs> Just a wonderful element they're missing. Sorry, go on. It's okay. So three other things to consider, and uh, both you and Clint mentioned it, is looking beyond the performative aspects of culture. Mm -hmm. As international schools, we're really, really good at 
doing the flag parade and bringing in the food from your country. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. But if we're only looking at culture through these visible and tangible aspects and we're not looking at the intangible aspects of culture, we're missing a big picture of who our students are. Mm. Um, Tied in with that is considering dominant culture. We are in Asia. We're in Indonesia. The vast majority of people that work at JIS are Indonesian. What's the dominant culture at JIS? Mm. That is a question that we have to ask ourselves personally because it affects what happens in your classroom. Mm. But we also have to ask ourselves as an organization. And then finally, familiarizing yourself with disparities within the community. Um, I remember last year I had a really eye-opening moment with my students. We were we um, at Pell. We do this um, food drive called Tutti Fruity Fridays, and the kids bring in fresh fruit. And I remember one of my kids looking at me and saying, like, I don't understand why we do this every Friday. Why can't people just buy it at the supermarket? Mm. And this was my fourth year. It was towards the end of the school year. And I was thinking, oh, did did I completely miss the boat? (laughs) Because I did not think that I had to really explain this to my students. Mm. And we sat and we were having conversations and they were like, okay, well, some people can't afford to to buy fruit. Okay, we understand that. Why can't they just pick it off the tree in their yard? Mm. And I was like, oh my goodness, we've totally (laughs) missed something here. So you have to familiarize yourself with what's going on in the community around you because we As much as international schools, as much as we act as if we are a bubble, we are not a bubble. We are a microcosm of what's happening in the real world. Mm -hmm. So you have to know what's happening in the real world to be able to address what's happening in the school. Wonderfully put, Denise. And certainly um, I think what you three have raised today um, is going to lead to lots of really fruitful and and thought-provoking discussion. What final comments do you have? Um, and again, I'm opening up to to any of you in relation to how impactful you think this report will be. Susan, you're new to the school. What's it like to come into a school and sort of jump straight into a, a self-study like this? Um, I'm hopeful for it. Um, I'm hopeful that people in the community will read it and gain some insight. Um, and I know for teachers, like we, the people who have worked on it, we're not that surprise with the findings and with recommendations mm. but it might be surprising for the community and that's a, that's a good first step and I also kind of think it, it might probably be something that could go in line with the just 2.0 which is the meeting that I was at this Saturday just to see what it's all about mm. and there's a lot of the goals that I think are in line with our recommendations and where we hope to be and I guess it's, it's a big blue sky thinking that we this is where we hope to be and and there are a lot of um, it's not a overnight process and it's important to remember that that is, is we need to go to go through a lot of steps to get there but I think if we do want to, I think if there's a will, um, and also like Denise was saying, like it's also a mindset change for mm-hmm. members of the community who who think that we are okay. I mean, I was looking at the survey, and 85% of um, the staff agree that we have diversity. And for mm-hmm. me, the conclusion is 85% of people think we're okay. <laughs> Um, so I think that's it's time to shake things up a little bit and perhaps this report will be that first step. 
Yeah, just to echo that last statement there, that it, this is a first step, I think, is it, it it brings awareness to the issue. And I mean, there's a number of people um, that are, you know, certainly the community member, uh, the, sorry, the uh, committee members are, are certainly aware now and through their research and what ways we need to move forward. And I think that that first step is, uh, is going to be awareness. And then here are the things that we need to so start to think about and work on. Um, and again, uh, for me, uh, really, in some, it's it's the it's action, not words. You know, we take these words and put them into making it happen. Clint, Denise, Susan, it's been wonderful talking to you today, and I can't wait to see uh, some of these actions in place as we move forward here at GIS. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. Having us.